Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read-through, and the breakdown, and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an here at Qadam Institute podcast. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, assalatu wassalam ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is merciful and bountiful enough to let us join here, alhamdulillah, in the masjid, uh, enjoying each other's company at the same time, uh, learning from uh, the, the, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and reflecting over them for a second week in a row, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. This is session two of our continuous study of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an, Surah Yusuf. And as I said last uh, Monday, one of the best ways to actually enjoy this experience is to honestly open up your own Qur'an as you know, we are conducting this class and kind of follow along, whether that's through a phone or if it's the actual hard copy of the Qur'an. Either way, inshallah, um, you know, we all have wudu, alhamdulillah, we just prayed maghrib, so inshallah we can read through the Qur'an together. Uh, alhamdulillah, so that's going to be, inshallah, something that I just encourage everyone to do to enjoy this, uh, this, this class and this lecture, inshallah, even more. So we, alhamdulillah, are now... Uh, going to be diving into the actual qasas, the actual story uh, of the surah. The first uh, class we did last Monday was more so to do with the introduction to the surah, uh, to do with the actual explanation behind the events of the surah, what we actually call the asbab al-nuzul in Arabic, which basically means the causes, uh, the reasons of revelation. Uh, or the circumstances of revelation, uh, why it was revealed, when it was revealed, uh, you know, what condition was it revealed in, and what, like, what part of the Prophet's life. And so now that we have covered that, we can now, alhamdulillah, go into the actual story of this surah. Uh, the last ayah that we covered was ayah number three, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, نَحْنُ نَقُسُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ Allah Ta'ala describes uh, a, a group of people. Allah Ta'ala says that, uh, shall I narrate to you the best of narrations? Um, and this is again to review Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala's reminding all of us uh, to keep in mind that no matter what we hear in this dunya, the, the, the narrations of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, especially in terms of Qur'an, this is the only thing that we have in our possession that we can call Kalamullah. Kalamullah meaning the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That this is the true unchanged word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is something that we call in Arabic mutawatir, which basically means that it is an undeniable authenticity. That the Quran was revealed through Jibreel alayhi salam to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and it was preserved uh, uh, without flaw for 1400 years, and it is here today, uh, you know, in, in, in our midst. And alhamdulillah, we are all very blessed to be able to read through it together. Um, and then Allah Ta'ala describes a group of people uh, that before this revelation came to them, min uh, al that they were, they were a group of people who were known as, as, as very, very lost. They were lost, they were, uh, you know, uh, they were wandering around and one of our teachers actually taught us this very, very beautifully that, you know, a person who is, uh, uh, you know, going through this state called ghafla, heedlessness, being lost, um, they're people without principle, people without morals and, 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 a, and a code of belief. It's as though whenever we walk outside and we don't have this faith, every single breeze that comes our way, it will change the direction that we're walking in. That a Muslim with, with foundational strong beliefs, they walk in despite the, you know, the, the elements of the outdoors, the elements of, of, of outside, no matter what direction the wind is blowing, a true Muslim knows exactly where their final destination is. And no matter how hard the breeze is blowing, no matter how fast the winds are, are, are hitting us, no matter what it is, we will find our true north, inshallah, and walk that direction. But a person who is you know, going through the state of ghafla, every single breeze that hits them, they change their course of direction. And this is why it's important to stick to a principle. And we believe that Muslims are principled people. And so we are the opposite of, of ghafla. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who are guided and who are strong in our belief. Ameen. 
So alhamdulillah, we are going through now to verse number four of Surah Yusuf. And this is the verse that truly begins the story. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he begins to describe in verse number four, a conversation between a father and a son. That this is a conversation between a father and a son, between Yusuf alayhi salam and Ya'qub alayhi salam. By the way, before we, we, we get into this conversation, this family is a prophetic family. This family is a prophetic family. Yusuf ibn Ya'qub, Ya'qub's father, anyone? Ishaq alayhi salam, very, very good. Ishaq alayhi salam ibn Ibrahim alayhi salam. This was a prophetic lineage that these people were almost followed one after the other in terms of prophetic lineage. These people literally followed each other. Um, there was prophetic nature in their blood. And we'll actually learn this in a couple of uh, ayat that are to come where Ya'qub alayhi salam gives some very prophetic advice to his son Yusuf. So this begins here where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number four, إِذْ قَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَبِيهِ يَا أَبَتِي إِنِّي رَأَيْتُ أَحَدَ عَشَرَ كَوْكَبَ وَالشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ رَأَيْتُهُمْ لِسَاجِدِينَ that, that he says to his father that this is a moment, إِذْ قَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَبِيهِ That Yusuf alayhi salam, he spoke to his father directly and he says, I have seen, O oh my father, that I have seen 11 stars. It's a, it's, it's a, a numerical Arabic you know, uh, a number. That this is 11, I saw 11 stars. And I saw the sun and the moon. And I saw all of them. Li sajideen. Li meaning to me, sajideen, they were prostrating. And so he's narrating to his father, obviously, a dream that he had. This is something that didn't happen in reality as of yet, but this is something that was called, and we'll talk about this in a second, inshallah. It's what we called ilham or wahi. Wahi is a step higher than ilham, even. Uh, this is a prophetic dream that Prophet Yusuf he had. So he narrates this to his father. The scholars, they mention that. This dream, it meant a very clear-cut thing. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, he says that this exact thing that he's talking about, that where he saw, uh, that these 11 stars, they are speaking about the 11 brothers of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. The sun and the moon. And this is talking about his, his parents. Very good. Uh, um, that they were all prostrating down to me, okay? And just a little bit of a tangent here. This is very important to actually bring up that you cannot surpass or bypass this ayah without speaking about the nature of dreams in terms of our religion. And this is something that we're just going to, inshallah, just very briefly gloss over because there's a lot of questions about this, inshallah. And if there's any questions, inshallah, we'll save it for the end and we'll do a little bit of a Q&A, inshallah, at the end of class or inshallah after Isha Salah is over. The nature of dreams, according to the majority of scholars, this is something that actually Qadi Thanaullah, rahimahullah, he actually quoted. He says that the dreams in terms of our, 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 our human being is of three, of three. Number one is a dream that is something that is just caused by the, the subconscious. It is something that is just scientifically just caused by the subconscious. That is something that people have seen throughout the day. It is something that's constantly in our memory, something in our mind. And this is why some people tend to you know, dream about things that they think about constantly, right? That if we're thinking, we're, we're, we're thinking about something during the day, there's something in terms of like a job or something in terms of like a family member, whatever it may be, this person has the, uh, the tendency to, to, to actually subconsciously dream about this thing in their sleep. That's number one. Number two is something where Qadi Thanaullah rahimahullah, he says that this is something that is influenced by shaitan. Number two. It is something that could be influenced by shaitan. And there's different kind of Arabic definitions of this, by the way, and we'll talk about this. The first thing is uh, hadith al-nafs, what I described in the first part. Hadith al-nafs means something that you just see from your own self. You see from your own self because you thought about it constantly. Hadith al-nafs. The second thing is something called taswil al-shaitan. Taswil al-shaitan. This is something that was basically uh, put into the mind by shaitan himself. And this is, by the way, where we get the famous narrations 
where the Prophet وسلم, he would say that one who, uh, one who wakes up from this evil dream or this taswil al-shaytan, the, 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 the waswasa of shaytan, they should wake up and what should they do? Anyone? Very good. So they should, what, anyone? Anyone? What should they do? Very good. There's some narrations that say that you should even recite your quls when you wake up and blow softly on your left side. Blow softly on your left side. Um, and, and, and by the way, a lot of people, unfortunately, especially culturally, they kind of misconstrue this, this, this advice from the Prophet where they actually uh, salivate. This is not something that the Prophet actually uh, said. He said to just uh, blow. Nafatha. Nafatha literally means just to kind of like softly blow over something. Uh, on your left side and then go back to sleep. This is something that the Prophet ﷺ, he advised us to do whenever we go through an evil dream or a bad dream that's bothered us, okay? So the second thing is taswil al-shaytan. The final thing, the third, and this is the only one where the scholars, they say that even if, if this is true, there are conditions behind this dream and this is called ilham. Ilham is, 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 is basically translated as almost like a mode of inspiration. It's an inspiration, ilham. And when it comes to the prophets, the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the anbiya, and also the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa they would sometimes receive wahi, which is divine revelation through their dreams. Okay? This happened to the Prophet ﷺ. This obviously happened to Prophet Yusuf as we're talking about right now. These are different modes of dreams. But for the average person, for our understanding, I want to be very clear about this. For our understanding, when it comes to dreams that we have, it is very, very wise of us to not linger on them too much. To not linger on them too much. That if there is a person of knowledge, if there is a person of knowledge that you know of, that you know, has the ability to give guidance on what particular dreams could be in terms of advice, then go to them and seek their advice. There are some people actually, by the way, even in, uh, in, in, our, in our world today, some shiyukh who have the ability to give some advice about dreams that people have and give them some guidance, some sort of kind of, you know, nasiha about what to do if they have certain kinds of dreams. But generally speaking, for all of us, the majority of us will have dreams that do not have any major purposeful meaning behind it. This is just the, the majority opinion uh, by the scholars uh, of this religion. So this particular dream that Prophet Yusuf had, this is a form of wahi or ilham that the prophets of Allah are given. And we find out, by the way, in the very final verses of the surah, that in fact, this dream ended up becoming a reality at the very end of Prophet Yusuf Alayhi life. Some scholars, they say after 40 years, some scholars say after 70 years. The, 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 the amount of years that passed by from childhood of Prophet Yusuf until the time where the dream became a reality is, you know, there, there's ikhtilaf, a difference of opinion on it. Some scholars say 40 years, some scholars say 70 years. That Prophet Yusuf was an elderly man at that time when he finally met his father again. And some scholars, they say that he was a middle-aged man in his 40s or in his 50s. Now, one thing that's very important to remember as we talk about this the family dynamic of Prophet Yusuf is very important to remember. Prophet Yusuf we said had how many brothers? 11. He had 11 brothers. Out of those 11 brothers, it is a majority opinion that 10 of those brothers, in fact, shared another mother. They shared another mother. That Prophet Ya'qub was married to another woman uh, and he had 10 of these older sons with this one woman. And then after she had passed away, Prophet Ya'qub salam, he remarried and he had his two youngest sons. One was the name of Yusuf and the other one was Benjamin. Very good. So Yusuf and Benjamin were the two youngest boys. So there was already a little bit of a family dynamic going on here. The older sons were a good amount of years older than the younger two. And they also had a different mother. So they were, you would say in, in today's day and age, half siblings. Okay. And so when Prophet Yusuf, he relayed this to his father, that, the, that there's 11 stars, the sun and the moon, Prophet Ya'qub was one of the prophets who were given the ability to interpret dreams. So immediately he knew that this dream of his son was no common dream. It was not something that just you and I could have dreamt in our life at some time. It was not hadith al-nafs, 
as we would say. It is not something that was just inspired by our own souls or what we were thinking about. Prophet Yusuf at this time, anyone know how, generally how old he was? Generally, the scholars, they say that he was around six, seven years old at this point. He was a young child, barely past the age of like toddlerhood and, you know, and, and, and before he even re- reached the age of, of maturity. He was a small child. He was not responsible for his actions as of yet. So a small child having this type of dream is not something that's very common. And so Ya'qub immediately knew that there was something unique about this child. Immediately. And this was a prophetic family. That doesn't mean that all of his sons were prophetic, which we will learn very, very quickly. That the other sons of Prophet uh, Ya'qub they weren't evil people, right? This is also another common misunderstanding that they were evil human beings. They were not evil. In fact, later on, we'll learn later on, this is probably going to be months and months, you know, after we're done with so many of these ayat, but they actually asked their father to ask Allah for forgiveness for them. Having that ability proves that you are not a disbeliever. Make sense? That a person who asks somebody to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for them proves the evidence is there that they actually believe in Allah. So these brothers were not purely evil. They were just very, very mistaken people. Very mistaken people. And so he hears this dream of his son. And he responds to his son by saying a very beautiful uh, you know, piece of advice. And he continues on. And he says to his son in, in verse number five. He says, uh, he says, قَالَ يَا بُنَيَّ and by the way, this is, there's something that needs to be addressed here. The attitude between father and son is something to be noticed in this conversation. The word that Prophet Yusuf used to talk to his father, he says, Abati. Abati. Anyone know what that means? It means my father. My Abi. My Abu. Ya Abati. It is not just like dad or Abu even or Abba. Ya Abati, oh my beloved father, oh my beloved dad, oh my beloved Abu or Abi. He speaks in a very beloved way. This is the way that a son should speak to a father. This is the way that a person who knows the rights that a father has upon them, this is the beauty in which they converse with one another. And you see the result of it in the following ayah. Because this is, by the way, and this is evidence that is proved through other portions of the Qur'an. When Prophet uh, Ibrahim salam, in the same family lineage, when he was told to sacrifice his son Ismail, he says, you know, he, 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 he gets the wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through a dream of him sacrificing his son Ismail at that time. And he asks his son Ismail, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. Fandur ma tara. What do you think? And Ismail, he responds with the famous response, قَالَ يَا If this is something that was commanded to you by God, then you should just do it. You see the respect dynamic here. You know, a lot of parents ask this question, like, how do I fill this void or bridge this gap between this generation and my generation? My son and my daughter and myself, how do I bridge this gap? Well, there's a mutual respect that's there. It, it's necessary. If the respect is there from the children, there'll be respect there from the parents. If there's respect there from the parents, there'll be respect there from the children. And so the response where Prophet Ya'qub, he responds back to his son. Qala ya bunay. Ya bunay. Oh my beloved son. My beloved son. So the nature of this advice, the nature of this conversation is one that is surrounded by love. It is a father who's not lecturing his child. It is not a child who is nagging at his father. Rather, it is a child who is going up to his father with sincere questions. And it's a father who's giving beloved advice to his younger son. Qala ya bunay. He says, Ya bunayya la taqusus ru'iyaka ala ikhwatika. Do not relay this dream to ikhwatik. To your, to, your, to your brothers. Don't tell your brothers what you just told me. Okay? Don't tell your brothers what you just told me. Uh, he says, uh, That lest your brothers devise a plan, That shaitan is indeed the worst 
the worst enemy of mankind. The worst enemy of mankind. And so his father is giving him what we would actually call in Arabic, uh, a, 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 a nahi. He's, te- he's, he's forbidding him to do something, right? In, in Arabic, we understand amr and nahi. Awamir and nawahi. Commands and forbidding, right? And the forbidding here that Prophet Yaqub is gi- giving to his son is do not tell your brothers about this. But a lesson within a lesson again. Whenever a parent forbids their child from doing something, again, it comes from that loving source. I'm not just lecturing you for lecture's sake. I'm not just telling you to do something because I don't want you to do it. I'm telling you to do something because I sincerely care about you. I care about you. I love you so much that one of my worst pains would be to see you going through pain. And once this attitude is relayed, the child, you, it's almost guaranteed that the child will be more easy to take that advice. Unfortunately, children nowadays rebel. Why? Not only because obviously they may be in a rebellious stage in their life. This is something that just happens. But also, we have to ask ourselves the nature of the advice that we give. This is why, by the way, advice is something that is very, very detailed in our, in our religion. There's a surah, which a lot of us actually probably memorize, Surah Al-Asr. وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ That word specifically at the very end of that surah, تَوَاسَوْ comes from the word الْوَسِيَّةِ And in that surah, وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ It means to call people or tell people, guide people towards the truth and guide people towards patience. Now, when you give people advice, one of the most interesting things about the word tawasso is the root of the word, which is al-wasiyah. Anyone know what the, what the word al-wasiyah is used in, the more, in, in common Arabic language? It's actually used for a word that denotes almost like a will before a person passes away. Final words that a person says. And then the scholars, they actually mention that if a person is saying their final words, who are the people that are surrounding them usually? their closest family, their companions, people who will cling on to every last word that is uttered. Because the nature of these words are something that everyone is willing to listen to. Al-wasiyah. So the advice, nature in our religion is to sincerely care when we give advice to people. And, and by the way, Ibn, Ibn Rajab, rahimahullah, he talks about several different kind of prerequisites of advice giving and advice taking. And, and one of them, the one who gives, gives the advice, one who's giving the nasiha, has to be sincere in their advice. They have to be truly sincere in their advice. They cannot have any other intention besides the well-being of the person. That I'm giving this advice because I truly care about this person. I'm doing this for the sake of Allah, but I want to, be, I want to see this person going through good. And the one who's receiving the advice, the condition that they receive the advice upon is that they do not actually judge the intention of the one who's giving it. You see how beautiful Islam is actually. Islam fulfills rights of everyone. The one who gives advice, the one who takes advice, and there's conditions to both. So this kind of back and forth that you see with Yaqub and Yusuf is one that is filling the rights of both parties. That Yaqub is giving the rights to his son by giving him love and sincerity in the advice that he's giving him. And Yusuf is seeking advice from his father without, without seeing any sort of misunderstanding in the advice and the intention in the, in the advice that his father is giving him. So why is he telling him, do not tell your brothers? Ya bunayya la ikhwatika. Do not tell your brothers about this. Well, there's a couple of different, different opinions on this. Number one is that the scholars, they say, naturally, just in Islam, the, there's actually a very, very um, famous narration from the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, where he says that uh, a person who has a, 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 a dream, a dream, the Prophet Sallallahu he advises, earn help for fulfilling needs by being discreet. By being discreet, for every owner of a blessing is envied. This is an authentic riwayah, by the way. He says, earn help by being discreet. For every person who possesses a blessing is one who is subject to possibly being envied. 
And this is why, by the way, whenever we have a good dream, it is recommended by the majority of the scholars to not disclose this to every single person that you know. The people that you disclose good things to in your life immediately should be the people who you know. You have thabat, means like confidence. So, so, you know, so, you know, just, just, uh, you know, just this confirmation, yaqeen, conviction, that the people who you're speaking to are your well-wishers. So the reason why Yusuf, he went to his father in the beginning, because he knew his father was one of his biggest well-wishers. That he knew his father was one of his biggest well-wishers. One of the people in his life that sincerely wanted good for his son. So he went to his father to ask him about what this dream could possibly mean. And the Prophet ﷺ, he says, take that lesson for your own life. When it comes to good that happens in our lives, don't just go around and flash it around to every single person that you know. Because there is absolutely without a doubt, without a doubt, inevitably going to be people that you know who you may think are just, you know, colleagues or classmates or whatever they may be in your life. But they are not necessarily your best well-wishers. And this is why, by the way, it's told just to keep certain things in families. Not living a life of fear. Because that's the opposite, right? People who live in fear of this concept of like nazar and hasad. We agree that these things exist. Hasad means like envy, nazar, like evil eye. We agree that these things exist, but a Muslim does not live in fear of these things. Because in fact, the scholars, they say, a person's yaqeen, their, their, their conviction in the power and the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be more than any fear of an envier. This is also true at the same time. That you know, th- th- there's people in this world who sometimes have like obvious blessings. Obvious blessings. But they will constantly just try to hide it and hide it and hide it and hide it to the point where people start, it started causing more fitna in people actually. I wonder what this guy is doing. I wonder what they're doing. Did you hear? They're being so secretive and they're not telling anybody. This is also something that is actually discouraged. So finding a middle path is something that is recommended from the prophetic tradition. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that we made you a balanced nation. A nation that does not lean too far to the left or too far to the right. And the Prophet ﷺ, he always spoke about this, by the way. He, he, there's a very famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he was sitting in the, uh, in, in, in the sand on the ground. And he took a stick off of the side of the ground and he drew a line. He drew a line right here in the middle. And then he drew one line to the right and one line to the left. So there are three lines in total. One in the middle and two on each side. And the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they asked, Ya Rasulullah, what does this mean? What is this? What did, you just, what did you just draw for us? And the Prophet ﷺ, he says, this right here is the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's always in the middle. When you see yourself leaning too far to the right or too far to the left, you know that you are straying away from Surat al-Mustaqim. You are now dabbling into the extremes and that is something that Islam does not condone. So be right in the middle. This is, the, this is the, the advice of the Prophet ﷺ. So he tells his son, do not relay this to your brothers. Why? Because, فَيَكِيدُوا لَكَ كَيْدًا That they, it's possible that they may devise a plan against you. And why does Prophet Yaqub ﷺ, he know this? This is an obvious answer because these are his sons. He has witnessed them for years. Over a decade of his life, he has witnessed these boys grow up. He knows exactly what their nature is. He knows exactly what they are capable of. So Yusuf, my dear son Yusuf, do not go and tell your brothers about this dream because there is a tendency that your older brothers have of becoming slightly jealous of their younger siblings. And this could be of several reasons. The first and foremost reason is, the scholars Ibn Kathir rahimahullah is the foremost one that says this, is that Yusuf and Benjamin were the youngest ones. Naturally, the parents' attention goes towards the youngest children. And any older child, and if there are some older, older siblings in here or any of the elders who have had you know, younger siblings growing up, they know this. That naturally, once parents have younger children, that the natural progression of attention goes towards the younger ones. Not because of any sort of favoritism, but just because the younger ones just need more attention at that time. That the older ones almost graduate into this next level of responsibility. That a 17-year-old is, is trusted now to almost be a helper in the family. 
No longer should they, should they be a person who I have to watch over every minute of my life. Now that goes towards the four-year-old. That goes towards the five-year-old. It's logic, it's reason. But what happens, and by the way, and we'll talk about this. This is the harm, and this is why there's so many scholars who write about the purification of the heart. Why? Because when the heart is impure, logic and reason is something that flees. Everything is just an influence of the desire that I have in my heart. That these brothers no longer saw Yusuf as a younger sibling. What they saw him as was competition. They saw him as this young kid who was competing for the love of their father with them. And this is why the, 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 the advice of his father was, do not relay this dream to your siblings. And this is advice that goes out to every single person. That shaitan is indeed the worst enemy of mankind. He can influence even the best of you. He can influence even the best of you. And a pure evidence of this is the evidence of Adam salam. One who was given paradise with his wife Hawa, and shaitan implemented his waswasa, and because of his waswasa, Adam salam and his wife Hawa were sent down to the earth. Because why? Shaitan's waswasa is truly one of the biggest influences in this dunya. And by the way, this is why we call waswasa something that is dangerous because it is constant. There's almost like a, this is a lesson in Arabic, uh, what we call balagha, which is like Arabic rhetoric. Like nuance in the Arabic language When you see the word waswasa It is a word As you can kind of see there's repetition in it Waswas, right? What it means is that it is constant The scholars of Arabic lugha Of, of the Arabic language they say That it is constant, it is never ending And waswasa when it, It's constant And as soon as the believer they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala The waswasa it starts to kind of Subside and then as soon as there is a, 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 a lowering of, of, of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the waswasa comes back. And this is why the greatest, the greatest repellent of shaitan in just casual times, forget about, you know, obviously salah, you need wudu, reading Quran, you need wudu. The greatest format of combating shaitan's whispers are, it's dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As soon as one gets angry, astaghfirullah. As soon as one gets irritated, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. As soon as one has a moment of happiness, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. As soon as someone sees something that is praiseworthy, MashaAllah. As soon as someone sees something that is amazing, SubhanAllah. It completely redirects any sort of, 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 of misunderstanding. And it redirects it back to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This is the greatest, greatest repellent of shaitan and, 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 and the waswas that he brings into the dunya. Okay? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues on. And in verse number 6, Prophet Yaqub alayhi salam, he begins to tell his son what this dream is actually a vision of. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, وَكَذَلِكَ يَجْتَبِيكَ رَبُّكَ وَيُعَلِّمُكَ مِن تَأْوِيلِ الْأَحَادِيثِ وَيُتِمُّ نِعْمَتَهُ عَلَيْكَ عَلَىٰ آلِ يَعْقُوبَ كَمَا أَتَمَّهَا عَلَىٰ أَبَوَيْكَ مِنْ قَبْلُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقِ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ He says here that thus your Lord chooses you or will choose you and teach you the interpretation of dreams and perfect his favor upon you as he has done with the offsprings of Yaqub as he perfected it on your forefathers Ibrahim and Ishaq Verily, your Lord is all-knowing and all-wise. And there's a very beautiful breakdown of this. I want everyone to pay attention to this. Your Lord chooses you. What this right here, according to Ibn Kathir, it means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has designated and assigned you to be a prophet of His. So this first portion right here, وَكَذَلِكَ يَجْتَبِيكَ رَبُّكَ this is the proof of prophethood for Prophet Yusuf It's the first thing that, 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 that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in verse 6. That the first thing is, Yusuf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will appoint you a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this, it will happen at some point. Whether it is in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, Allahu alam. But Allah will appoint you to be a prophet of His. 
Okay? Then Allah says, And He will teach you the interpretation of what we call ahadith. And Mujahid and several other scholars of tafsir, they say that this part of the ayah is specifically relevant to the interpretation of dreams. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will teach you, يُعَلِّمُكَ مِن تَأْوِيلِ الْأَحَدِيثِ Ta'wil interpretation, a hadith is another word that we use for dreams. And by the way, we'll learn about this later on, is that Prophet Yusuf's ability to interpret dreams is one of the key narratives of him getting out of very difficult situations in his life. Very difficult situations in his life. One specifically, we'll talk about this in several, probably several weeks, is his moments in jail, in prison. When he was in prison, there was a moment where he interpreted a dream of a couple of people or, and, and, and of a king, which actually therein gained his freedom. And so Allah, so Allah Ta'ala, he says that Yaqub says that Allah will teach you ta'wil al-ahadith. And he has perfected his favor upon you. And by this he means that he, he will reveal his message and revelation to you. That he will teach you the ways of La ilaha illallah. So this is almost a confirmation of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make you one of his prophets. وَعَلَىٰ آلِ يَعْقُوبِ And upon the offsprings of Ya'qub, this is why Ya'qub, he says afterwards, كَمَا أَتَمَّهَا عَلَيْكَ كَمَا أَتَمَّهَا عَلَىٰ أَبْوَيْكَ مِنْ قَبْلُ إِبْرَاهِيمِ As he perfected it a long time ago with your, your forefathers Ibrahim wa Ishaq. He gave this to your forefathers, Ibrahim and Ishaq. Your, 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 your grandfather, Ishaq. Your great-grandfather, Ibrahim. You come from this amazing lineage. And by the way, this is a very interesting hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, by the way. A lot of us sometimes, we don't really look into the lineage of prophets anymore. And this is lost. It's a lost tradition nowadays. We don't look into to lineages anymore. You know, unfortunately, if you ask like a common, you know, young person nowadays, you ask them who your grandfather was, your great-grandfather, your great-grandmother, your great-great-grandmother, whoever it was, they will probably get lost after grandfather or grandmother. They don't even know the names of their great-grandparents. Why? Because it's not a focal point for our, our, our tradition anymore, unfortunately. One of the ways that the Arabs used to keep this alive is that their literal names were Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Abdullah, Ibn Abdul Muttalib, Ibn Hisham, or Ibn Hashim. So these, peop- these people were literally people who knew a part and parcel of who they were, were their forefathers. They didn't forget where they came from. It was a part of their, their, their tradition to memorize who they were, where they came from, who influenced them to become who they were. Who was my great-grandfather? Who was my great-grandmother? And so Ya'qub is referring back to his, 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 his own father, Ishaq, or Ibrahim. You know these people, you know these names. Your forefather, your great-grandfather Ibrahim salam, he built the Kaaba. He built the Kaaba. There's this strength in lineage in your family. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ, he said, by the way, and this is very important to know, there's a very, very famous narration of the Prophet ﷺ, and this is something that a lot of people, it, it, it's needed to be said, but there's a very beautiful reason why he said this, is that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, nobody from my lineage, authentic riwayah, nobody from my lineage was born out of wedlock. Nobody from my lineage was born out of wedlock. What is, this, what is this doing? It is proving the authenticity of the, 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 the strength of the family. That this is a family of principle. This is a family of morals and values. And this is not to say that obviously people make mistakes and there, there are mistakes that are committed and things that are forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this more so is a, an affirmation and a confirmation of the validity of the morals and the principles of the prophetic family. And so to allude back to Ishaq and Ibrahim is a means of him teaching the values of this family. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ And this final piece of this ayah is very beautiful because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us that Allah knows best whom to choose for His message. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ he is choosing you, O Yusuf alayhi salam, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alim, he is all-knowing, and he is 
Hakim. He is all wise. So the reason he chose you was very calculated. It was not random. It was not random at all. He could have chosen anybody else, but he chose you, Yusuf alayhi salam. He chose Musa. He chose Harun. The same one who chose Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq. The same one who chose Sulaiman and Dawood. The same one who chose Isa and Musa. The same one who chose Hud and Lut and Nuh and Adam and Idris. All of these prophets were chosen for a purpose. And so know that this purpose is Alimun Hakim. He is the all-knowing and the all-wise. So let it be known, O young Yusuf, that this was done for a reason. So in one concise statement, Ya'qub gave his son the explanation that he needed. And you see here that the Qur'an does not elaborate any further. The Qur'an doesn't say that, oh, Yusuf asked all these other questions. Yusuf said, why me? Yusuf didn't say, oh, when is it going to happen? Yusuf didn't say, why is it going to happen? Yusuf didn't say, how is it going to happen? We talked about this last Monday. That verily, the hadith of the Prophet that verily it was the excessive questioning. Kathratun masailihim. Wa ikhtilaf al-anbiya. The disagreements with their prophets that caused the downfall of a lot of people that came before them. So Yusuf salam follows the tradition of Sami'na wa ata'na. That my father told me all these things that Allah has chosen me for this message. Allah has taught me the interpretation of dreams. Allah will, will, will give me this message of La ilaha illallah. Inna rabbaka alimun hakim. Khatam bas. That is it. No further elaboration needed. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He continues on and He says in verse number 7, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي يُوسُفَ وَإِخْوَتِهِ آيَاتٌ لِلسَّائِلِينَ That truly, verily, without a doubt, in Yusuf and his brothers were a lesson for those who ask. Ayat, signs, miracles. لِلسَّائِلِينَ But what's the condition? Anyone? The condition is that you have to want to know about it. You, want, you have to want to learn about it. Ayatun lissa'ilin. There's a, there, there, there's unfortunately, and wallahi, there's a, a, a serious disease, a disease of the heart, where people who say they want to be guided, but in fact, their attitude speaks louder than their words. That, oh, you tell me the answer to this, and the answer to this, and the answer to that, and the answer to this. Give me the answer to this and the answer to that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not owe any single person an explanation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need you to be Muslim. Rather, you need to be Muslim for your own benefit. That is the one who benefits from it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Al-Ghafoor. He will be everything without you being a Muslim. You are the one who's losing out by not being a Muslim. So the one who seeks that guidance, we talked about this, Khudan lil muttaqin. That hidayah is there. But it has to be from a person who wants to be guided. A person who seeks to be guided. And so verily in the story of Yusuf and his brothers are a sign for those who ask and those who want to learn about it. And now we move on and we'll end inshallah in another 10 or 15 minutes or so inshallah. I always said that we want to end at least 5 minutes before the salah. Continues on now the chapter has shifted. Now the conversation between father and son has closed and now the conversation shifts towards the brothers. And the brothers now start speaking amongst themselves. They say, And by the way, the Quran is beautiful because it gives us an, an insight to what it is like to think from the perspective of a person whose heart is very diseased. You understand? That this ayah and the ayats that are going to be coming after this will show you the mentality of a group of people who disease has entered their hearts. And that disease is hatred. That disease is jealousy. That disease is envy. That disease is pure just anger towards things. And this is what those Characteristics, if not controlled, they will in fact get the better of you. Because none of these characteristics are inherently haram, by the way. Anger is not inherently haram. There are moments in life where anger is necessary. And this is why, by the way, the scholars, they say, control your anger. It doesn't say get rid of your anger. There's moments where anger is very necessary. 
A person who doesn't have anger in certain moments in their life is a spineless human being. If a person sees injustice happening right in front of their eyes, there's a hadith of the Prophet that says, correct it with your hands. And if you cannot correct it with your hands, correct it with your, with your tongue. And if you cannot correct it with your tongue, then the, least, the, the lowest level of faith is you being unokay with it in your heart. But for a person who has no sort of th- th- that uneasiness, that emotion in their heart for something that's wrong happening in front of them, this person does not know how to, how to, how to act. This person has no idea how to show emotion towards something that's gone wrong. If somebody comes into somebody's home and insults their mother, to sit back and say, well, the Prophet says, لا تغضب. This is absolutely nonsense. This is nonsense. This is, this is literally nonsensical. You need anger at times in your life. But the advice is always, do not let the anger control you. Control your anger. Controlling anger doesn't mean to just completely extinguish it. Control it means, reel it back. Know when to loosen the reins and know when to tighten the the rope. That's what controlling anger means. When it comes to looking at other people, it doesn't mean to not look at other people and aspire to be like them. If that was the case, then nobody would look after the Prophet ﷺ and say, I want to be like this man. No one would look at Aisha radiallahu anha and say, I want to, I want to emulate this, this scholar of our religion. No one would look at people like Abu Hanifa and Imam al-Shafi'i and Imam al-Malik and Imam, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal and say, I want to be like these people. They would say, no, I don't want to look at other people. No, no, no. The goal is to not be envious. Emulate. Seek inspiration. That's the only way you learn. Their companions, the Prophet ﷺ, by the way, they used to do things, and when they were asked why they do it, they would say, well, I saw the Prophet ﷺ doing it. Does that sound like a person who doesn't look at other people for inspiration? No, these were all people who saw inspiration. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, literally, they would say that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, sometimes he resembled the Prophet ﷺ. He resembled him in his mannerisms. Everything he did, he would copy him. The younger Sahabi, Mus'ab ibn Umair, Zayd ibn Haritha, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Umar. They used to literally walk around the Prophet ﷺ to like act like him. They would wear their clothes like the Prophet used to wear. They would speak like the Prophet used to speak. These are people who would emulate. This is what we call ittiba'a. Ittiba'a means to like, you know, seek inspiration, emulate. Try to, you know, copy someone for the good. But the polar extreme of that is to the point of envy and jealousy. To the point of envy and jealousy. And this is why my teachers used to always teach us. This is one of our teachers when I was a kid actually. Shaykh Hamza Abdul Malik. Who by the way, if anyone knows uh, Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer who passed away. Shaykh Hamza was the one who actually recited at his janazah. He actually recited at the janazah of Muhammad Ali. And so Shaykh Hamza used to teach us, whenever, whenever it came to the, 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 to the dunya, look at the people who have less than you. But when it comes to your deen, look at the people who have more than you. Always remember, in the dunya, there will be people who have less than you constantly. Be grateful for what you have. But when it comes to your deen, when it comes to your deen, look at the people who have more than you. Aspire to be like those who have more than you. Do you see a person who is praying more diligently than you are? Aspire to be like that one day. You see a person reading Qur'an the way that you aspire to read it one day, seek inspiration from that person. Don't be envious, seek inspiration from them. In fact, make dua for them. Make dua for them. Oh Allah, bless this person for giving me this inspiration. This is why it's actually taught for students of knowledge, Talibul Ilm, to make dua for the authors of their books. We have, we, we, we have scholars that we study in, our, in, in, in the seminary at Qadam. Muhammad uh, Ali Sabuni, Sheikh Sabuni, who passed away like two years ago. We make dua for this man. He wrote our books uh, called Tibiyan fi Ulum al-Qur'an. He wrote literally an entire a manual about the sciences of the Qur'an. You know, the pe- 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 people like Sheikha uh, 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 Samira Az-Zahid, who wrote a, ja- a, a, a mukhtasar fi jamia sirat al-nabawiyah. She wrote our sirah book. We make dua for this scholar. That Allah blesses her with the highest levels of paradise. Imagine how many people benefit from these books. 
This is called that, that emulation. So at this point, these brothers, they're speaking to one another. He says, They say, truly, Yusuf and his brothers, Yusuf wa akhu, his brothers, or his, sorry, his brother, singular, his brother, wa akhuhu, his brother, now you see the flaw in the way of thinking. You know what they say? They say, Yusuf and his brother are dearer, more beloved to our father than we are. While minna wa nahnu usba. While we are usba. Anyone know what the word usba means? Usba denotes like a group of people. A group and, 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 and you know, Mufti, Mufti Shafi Usmani, Mufti Taqi Usmani, they both say that, you know, Usba means like a group of ten or more. Ten or more. Meaning like quantity. We're a large group of people. How can our father love these two little kids more than he loves us? They don't do anything for the family. They don't bring home any food. They don't go out and hunt and gather crops. And they don't go out and build things for the home. They don't go out and seek any sort of resources for our family. They don't do any of that. Yusuf is like six, seven years old and Benjamin's even younger than him. We're a group of people, strong young men. Our father, how can he love them even more than he loves us? And this is where, by the way, when hatred and jealousy is not reined in, you say some of the most bizarre things. They say about their father, who is a prophet of God, a prophet of God, the son of Ishaq alayhi salam, they say, Inna abana lafi They utter a phrase about their father that is absolutely the most inappropriate thing you could say. Which is, our father is in Dalal Mubin. Dalal means an error, a mistake. Mubin is clear. Something that is an obvious error. Our father is mistaken. Our father is wrong. Our father is this. Our father is that. Now they are speaking against their father. They're saying that our father is this and our father is that. And this is by the way, can I, can I say something? And this is almost like a piece of advice to myself before anyone else. There's a very common English proverb that says that misery loves, anyone know what it is? Company, very good. Misery loves company. You know what that means? It means that when you're on your own, sometimes if you ask Allah for help and you, you seek Allah's guidance, that the, the, whatever ill will we have in our hearts can be extinguished by the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the members of Allah. But once we go around to other people and spread that hate, that jealousy, that envy, what starts to happen is the flames begin to grow. And this is why there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he says, he says to be wary of hasad. Iyakum wal hasada. That hasad is something that spreads. It spreads like fire spreads in firewood. It spreads on wood. Be wary of hasad. Because if it's not controlled, it will get to an extent where it will be a massive fire. Because you allowed it to fester. You allowed it to marinate. You allowed it to grow in size and in quantity. Why? Because you were just joining other people in that misery. And so all these brothers, they get together and they start to conspire and talk to one another. Yusuf, you don't like him either? Yeah, I hate that guy. You don't like him either? Yeah, I hate him too. Let's all talk about how much we hate this kid. And not only that, their hatred and the evidence of it reaching an, to an extent where it was almost incontrollable was now not only was their hatred towards Yusuf, but their hatred now was towards their father as well. Inna abana lafi and so what they say, and we'll end with this last ayah inshallah for today. They say this final piece. They say, اُقْتُلُوا Yusuf. اُقْتُلُوا Yusuf أَوَتْرَاحُهُ أَرْضًا يَخْلُوا لَكُمْ وَجْهُ أَبِيكُمْ وَتَكُونُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ قَوْمًا صَالِحِينَ Oh my goodness, subhanAllah Rabbil Adam. There's so many wisdom from this one ayah. 
The first thing that they, that, that they, uh, that they, that they suggest, which kind of puts a, we call it a cherry on top. <laughs> it's like a bow on top of a gift that proves majnoon. <laughs> they say, Uqtulu Yusuf. Let's just kill him. Let's kill him. Do you see what happens when we negate the advice of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Be wary of, of jealousy and envy. When a person avoids that, that advice, their thought goes, Uqtulu Yusuf. Let's kill him. How many, how, many, how, many, how many possible solutions did they bypass, by the way? Let's speak, let's speak to our father. Let's try to get to, you know, be, be, be closer to Yusuf. Let's, let, let, let's maybe talk to our father a little bit about how maybe, you know, there's a misunderstanding going on. Let's maybe, you know, try to calm ourselves down a little bit and understand that this may be getting blown out of proportion. When none of these things happen, it gets to the stage of uqtulu Yusuf. Let's just kill him. Or, Or, let's just cast him to some land. Let's just throw him away. Let's just get rid of him. And they say, so that our father's eyes, our father's attention will be ours. Our father's attention, our father's eyes, and our father's, our father's love will be ours. Now, I'll ask somebody this question right here. This is to see if people are kind of critically thinking. Why is that just logically flawed? Anyone? If we kill Yusuf, get rid of him, our father's attention will now be ours. What is the logical fallacy of that statement? Anyone? What does not make sense about that? This is, by the way, written by classical scholars about this. Anyone? Any, any, any thoughts? That our father's attention will now be ours after we get rid of Yusuf. Why is that flawed? You had something. She had something in the back. An idea? What is it? What would, what's your name? Maryam, right? You're in my class. Maryam, so what, what would happen if you got rid of one of your siblings? What would happen to your parents? Very good. Maryam, mashallah, is like the best student here. She said, she said, if we got rid of our sibling, my parents would constantly be worried about that sibling now. The loss of a child. The loss of a son. If we kill our brother, get rid of him, our, our father's attention will be ours? Absolutely not. Any person in their right mind would know that if this thing actually happened, our father would worry himself to death. And an evidence of this is the proof that took place in the latter half of the surah. We'll talk about this. Prophet Yaqub, he went what? Blind. He went blind from the worry about his son Yusuf. So one of the proofs against the action that follows jealousy is that you start to become a person who is lacking reason. You start to convince yourself that my ideas are good when any person who can see clearly knows that this is completely wrong. This is completely wrong. But when a human being is so immersed in a disease of the heart, they cannot think clearly. And this is why it's important to clear the mind and the heart every day. Every day. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where the Prophet ﷺ one time he said, in a gathering of his companions, he, he saw a man walk by him, and he said, this man is a man of Jannah, a man of paradise. And so one of the companions was very curious, right? Very curious. So he followed this man back to his home. And he even made up a story. He says, oh, you know, I need a place to stay. My family and I got into an argument. I need a place to stay for a few days. What was his intention? To watch him, right? To watch him, to see what he's doing. So he goes into his home and he watches him for a few days. And he says, this guy, he prays like we pray. He makes dua like we make dua. He eats like we eat. He sleeps like we sleep. He takes care of his family like we take care of ours. 
There's nothing, there's nothing special about this man. And so after a few days, he confronts him. He says, I've got to be honest with you. I have to be honest with you. When you walked by us the other day in front of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ, he said that you are a man of paradise. And I became curious and wanted to know why he made that statement. And so I came and I observed you for a few days in a row. And I am just at a loss of words to express to you how confused I am. What do you do that is special? I have not seen, and no offense, I'm not trying to be offensive. I have not seen you do anything that none of us don't do. And this companion, he was like awestruck. The Prophet called me a man of Jannah. Imagine, right, if the Prophet called you a man of Jannah or a woman of Jannah. How would you feel? SubhanAllah, right? Like, now I've got to find what I do, right? I don't even know what I do myself. He said, I don't think I do anything special. She's just, it's fine, whatever. Maybe this is just something between Allah and His Messenger. So he starts walking away. And he says, wait, wait, wait. There's one thing. There's one thing. And he just turns around and says, please, anything, tell me. What is it? I want to know. What do you do? He says, I never allow myself to end any evening feeling any sort of hatred towards another person in my life. And I do my best to make sure that no one feels ill will towards me. I go to bed every night asking people for their forgiveness if I ever wronged them in my life. And because of this, the Prophet called him a man of paradise. Do you see the importance of a clear heart? A heart that's pure, a heart that's restful. Is a heart that doesn't feel this pain. Imam al-Ghazali, you know what he says? This is very profound, by the way. Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, he actually says that a person who is envious of another person is actually a fool. He's a fool. So his students, they asked him, why? Shaykh, why? why are they fools? He says, because that person is actually harming himself more than that other person. That other person is going about their life just happily. They're just doing their thing. They're going about their life like nothing. They're enjoying their family, they're enjoying their work, they're enjoying their, their social life, they're enjoying their, you know, their, their, their prayers, their, their namaz, their, they're enjoying everything. While this person who is struck with jealousy is beating themselves up every night about how life isn't fair. You're harming yourself. You're not harming that other person. So how foolish is it, Imam Ghazali says, how foolish is it of a person who has so much hatred of another person and that person doesn't even feel a single thing. In fact, you're the one over here living in misery. So, iyakum wal hasad. Be wary, stay far away from hasad. And we'll end with this insha'Allah. Wajhu abikum wa takunu min ba'dihi qawman salihin. They say, the, the, this is, and, and this by the way is a, a religious flaw. And I want everyone to remember this by the way. This phrase right here is a religious flaw. This mindset. And it translates out to, and after that we will become a righteous people. What does that immediately negate the, 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 the sincerity of? Their? Their tawbah. A person cannot calculate their sins. I go out and say, like, I'm going to go and, 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 and lie to this person and after that I'll become a good person. I'll go over there and I'll just kind of slander him behind his back and then I'll go and ask Allah for forgiveness. I'll go out there and I'll, 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 I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to pray Isha tonight. I'm just going to ask Allah for forgiveness for it. This is not how tawbah works. And it's very dangerous when a human being starts to get into that mindset of saying that I can just make mistakes and plan on them and then just ask Allah for forgiveness after. And you know what this is? The scholars, they say this. This is, this is, this is an abuse towards your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're trying to play Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're trying to play games with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in which you will not be pleased at the end result of it. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what's within the heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly what you intended before you did it. 
So don't allow yourself to say that after I do this, I'm going to become a good person. After I do that, I'm going to become a good person. Because wallahi, we have no idea if we will be able to live long enough to be that good person. So do not plan out our sins. And inshallah, here we will end so we can call the adhan. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to learn from these ayats. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put wisdom in our hearts from his beautiful Quran. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to learn from the example of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whatever good was said was from him and him alone. And whatever bad or mistake was made was from shaitan and myself. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for any of our shortcomings and our sins. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that with each word that we read from his Quran, that we grow closer to him and to the point where he allows us to be admitted into the highest levels of his paradise. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubarik. Insha'Allah ta'ala, next Monday we will pick up with verse number 10 alhamdulillah so inshallah we've completed the first 10 uh, first 9 ayat we'll continue on with the 10th ayah inshallah next monday wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu